What you're hearing are the sounds of two pandas in love. She kept going to his side of the pen uh, and just, you know, calling to him and checking in on him and, uh, you know, just felt like one of those very unfortunate, like Romeo and Juliet type stories or something. Love takes up a lot of human attention. We write movies, books, and music about it. We talk endlessly to our friends about dating and our partners. But how big of a role does love play in the lives of our non-human animal friends? I'm Shayla Love, and you're listening to Scientific American Science Quickly. We've been digging into different aspects of love, and today we're going to leave people behind to ponder if animals feel love and if how we answer that question tells us anything about the way we see non-human animals and what love is at all. Megan Martin is a conservation biologist in Portland, but another way to describe what she does is that she's an animal matchmaker. Caribbean iguanas, checkered scot butterflies, a kikiki in Hawaii, African painted dogs, and Oklahoma City zoo. She directs PDX Wildlife, a nonprofit that's dedicated to helping animals get it on while in captivity. What she's probably most known for is helping pandas breed. <laughs> and so it's a fun thing arranging pandas be dating. You know, I really enjoy my work. When animals aren't breeding on their own, Megan and her team encourage them by looking at the animal's environment and making changes that better match how mating might occur in nature. For pandas, one technique they're using is introducing male-male competition. So in the wild, the female climbs to the top of the tree, and then the males do get out at the bottom, and then uh, the winner wins access to the female, of course. Pandas in conservation centers can't fight. That would be too dangerous, and they are endangered after all. So Megan sets up what are called howdies. So we let them see each other um, between very fine mesh barriers with bars so they can't actually physically harm each other. Um, And that gives them a quote-unquote competition. So they'll get really riled up. And then we introduce them to the female. After a howdy, the pandas are more motivated to mate. Megan is used to the logistics of getting animals to have sex. Does this mean she helps them fall in love? Her process can make animal love sound pretty formulaic. Yet, Megan said there's still some mystery as to why some animals are drawn to each other and some aren't. Because as scientists, we're trained not to anthropomorphize, but I strongly believe I've made my entire career off of anthropomorphizing and recognizing that a personality does have something to do with this mating success. Actually, figuring out whether animals can fall in love requires us to clarify what we mean by love in the first place. Is it just pandas having sex? Is it something else? Love and falling in love especially is is a very complex uh, phenomenon. And of course, there are all kinds of emotions involved. But in fact, on itself, falling in love is not an emotion, but a state. So in that state, you have many emotions, and uh, they can be quite different. Claudia Vinga, an animal behavioral biologist at Utrecht University in the Netherlands, said that while we can't peer into animals' minds and know what they're thinking, we can watch what they do. 
We know animals can have positive states and form attachments to one another. One example is when animals approach one another and spend time together. If you don't like each other, you won't approach each other. So the first thing is approaching each other and then sniffing, of course. But when you like the individual, you may lick uh, yeah, that grooming, uh, sitting next to each other, sleeping together, very close by, all kinds of behavior uh, that can show us positive, effective states. Some animals can form monogamous pairs for a lifetime, such as albatrosses. And if they see each other, other after a year on the breeding places, they, they really approach each other. They find each other in this enormous colony. <laughs> That's really amazing. And when they find each other, they, they, yeah, they, yeah, they meet again. Um, um, with very effective um, yeah, behavior, which definitely looks like falling in love and being in love. Scientists have also measured chemical increases of hormones such as oxytocin in animals or increases in brain activity in the brain's emotional centers. But in the end, our perception of whether animals love still rests on what we think they are capable of feeling based on those physical signatures and behaviors. I don't think we are automatically getting ourselves into trouble by asking the question of love, but I think we can get into trouble if we think about love in a narrow way that prevents us from seeing the diversity of expressions of love that exist in the animal kingdom. I think that's really the danger. David Pina Guzman is a philosopher at San Francisco State University who wrote a book about animal dreaming. So he spent a good amount of time thinking about how to consider animals' internal states. He thinks we should be wary of defining love only as something that matches our human cultural norms. I think many of us think of the highest expression of love as romantic love, which is tied to a lot of human conventions like monogamy, courtship, dyadic relationships. If we start thinking about love in that way, it would be hard to say that animals feel romantic love, even though this form of love is historically pretty recent. Dating only to the 19th century or so. If we look at animal behaviors more broadly, such as the ones Claudia mentioned, the story of love shifts. One example that we might point to are cases of animal mourning and animal grief, where it's clear that animals suffer very deeply, um, very intensely when those that they love perish. And there is a series of behaviors that are associated with the process of mourning and the process of grieving that are pretty well documented in animals as diverse as elephants, whales, primates. Veterinarians even recommend that for pets that live together, if one dies, it's important to let your pet see the body. So if you have a dog and a cat and they get along well, and suddenly the cat dies for whatever reason, it's it's pretty important for you to let the dog see the the actual dead body of his or her friend because that way they can begin the process of grieving and mourning. Do animals grieve because they loved their departed animal companions? Maybe, but what does that really mean? One way to think about what grief and mourning are, they are processes of disattachment or detachment from a loved one. And in order for you to detach, it means that you had to attach in the first place. And that's one way to think about love. 
There's been disagreement throughout history about the emotional lives of animals. The French philosopher René Descartes thought that animals were like robots, operating purely on instinct and conditioning. If we see animals in this way, it might be less about whether they can feel love and more about how we think about their emotional lives. So I think the question of love is interesting because it opens up to this broader debate about whether or not animals are emotional agents, whether they are emotional subjects. And if you answer to that is no, then, you know, we might have to have a very different kind of discussion than just about whether or not they love. Hearing about the pandas mating made me consider how human love can be somewhat formulaic, too. If you manipulate the environment around people, say by lighting some candles, pouring some wine, or asking a certain series of questions like we discussed in an earlier episode, if you wanted to look very sexy, how would you dress? You might be able to induce mating behaviors. There could be a reluctance to say animals experience love just like humans, but there could be a similar reluctance to noticing how human love can be animalistic too. We live in a culture where love is tied to sex, and sex is understood as procreative. So the person that we are supposed to love the most is typically somebody that forms a heteronormative relationship with us that leads to children. There have been cases in which pandas have wanted to be together, even if they weren't the best mating partners. There was this one time where uh, there was a rescued male who had been rescued from the wilds. And um, so he was missing his back leg. They introduced him to a female who would be a good match for him. They loved each other across the barrier. But because of the male's missing leg, the pair had some physical difficulties with mating. Pandas have unique problems in that area, too. The male's penis is very tiny. (laughs) Eventually, the two had to be separated. She kept going to his side of the pen, calling to him and checking in on him. And um, I have no doubt that they really, really liked each other, if not loved each other. On the next episode of Love in the Brain. I mean, I can definitely say this. You're not unhappier. Yeah. After your breakup. (laughs) I guess, but haven't women been complaining about dating men forever? Science Quickly is produced by Tulika Bose, Jeff Delvisio, and Kelso Harper. Our theme music was composed by Dominic Smith. For Scientific American Science Quickly, I'm Shayla Love. <laughs> <laughs>